you know, it's, it's seven days, but some papers only get the Sundays or only get the dailies. So you have to tell a story that works with reading those independent of each other. And some papers only get the bottom two of the three rows of the Sunday. Um, so, yeah, so you have to tell a story that can be read over either, uh, what is that, 24? So a story that can be read over either 32 panels or six. Hey, thanks for listening. Well, welcome to, I guess, the first bonus Tradecraft episode. As I mentioned, past guests have come back. And to accommodate this, I'll have to post some of these bonus episodes on Fridays just to keep the ball rolling because I have episodes recorded and lined up that will take me through the year. So there will be Friday episodes here and there. Like I've said before, the podcast is free and I only intend it to be free. And the reason I say all this is that I'm dealing with a lot of externalities that having two episodes a week is really rough on my time. And I need to figure out other ways to make this somewhat balance out. So I'm going to activate the memberships on Substack and I'm going to set it at five bucks a month. And this doesn't stop accessibility to episodes coming out. So you can get them on Substack, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Stitcher for free. However you like to listen to it, that's totally cool by me. I don't want to break that up. But if you dig the show, and if you've been listening for a while, and I hope you have, and I hope you will, maybe you can go over to Substack and click on the paid membership. You know, help me out because there are time costs and technical costs, which there are many of that are so baked into being able to do a podcast these days that I would like to be able to go to a few comic conventions a year and record there. And that would be great because I'm never going to be able to sit face to face with certain people unless they travel. We'll see how it all works. I'm I'm not going to be Joe Rogan. I'm not going to make a fortune on this. I'm going to have creative conversations with people for as long as I possibly can. And doing that with the community support would be fantastic. Speaking of community support, Dan Schade is today's guest. And Dan's been on the show before. And ta-da, he's the new writer, artist for Flash Gordon. There's links in the description. Go read Flash Gordon every day. It's totally free. Um, yeah, and then we also talked about his other projects, which there are links to as well. So um, Dan's great. I hope you enjoy our talk. This is me with Dan Schade. I, um, I, I work nights uh, now. And, uh, um, and so I, I, I normally sleep in the late morning and early afternoon. Okay. But this morning, Flash was announced. So I spent a lot of time I would have spent sleeping, uh, like answering messages. Yeah. 
So I'm, 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 I'm getting, uh, like you'll, you, you'll see a spike when you tell me that, that we're like recording for the podcast. We're recording now, man. <laughs> we are just trying to find the right narrative spot to jump in. Right. Which is always, the, which is, the, isn't that the case of the story? You know, get in late, get out early. Yeah. I'm not good at the getting out early part. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're, you're always dealing with economy. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're always dealing with, you know, uh, especially the attention economy. Mm-hmm. You know, how, 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 how long will this kind of sustain this uh, interest, this tension with the viewer? And it's something that is the, the, like the name of the game when it comes to writing comics. Yeah. Is how, how, when you have uh, the space economy, in addition to the attention economy, uh, how do we, how, how do we, how do we make the the page crackle enough mm-hmm. that that it'll keep you there? This little, you know, bird feeder peanut butter apparatus that that keeps the the readers, you know, buzzing around the story, um, and uh, that's, uh, I mean, I just hate wasting people's time sure. is, is, is my, is my big thing. I, I hate, um, my, my big fear is that people are being nice and listening to me. Right. And I, I, I feel like my comics reflect that. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's interesting. I, I initially, I will say, yes, that's always the case. People, when it comes to when you are carving out something new, people are always being nice because those are the people who know you and the, you know, the hope, the goal, the dream is to extend beyond that circle of acquaintances into the unknown, you know, sort of sea out there and hope that they buy into the same thing that you're putting out. And the, you know, and that is you, you know, which is the hard part about being a creative, you know, an artist is that it's like, okay, I guess I'm being judged, you know, like it's a weird, you know, terrifying, you know, dance. Well, it's, it's so hard to find the level of, of that, uh, that's safe for you and healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Like there are some people who should never, ever read the comments. Like there are people who should never even meet their audience. Right. Um, and there are people whose art is almost tied to their ability to, to interact with their audience. Mm-hmm. Um, like if uh, if it was somehow possible for a cartoonist to live stream their comics, like to to make the comic as people are watching at a fast enough pace that they're actually getting the story. Yeah, I, I think there are some artists where that would be the ideal outlet for their creativity is this this jazz level flow that people are directly engaged in um and uh i don't know i i I think that's part of i think it's part of why it's uh important to not hold artists accountable to one specific way of doing it Mm -hmm. which i feel like um then this is always going to be the case when you're dealing with a a multi-generational talent pool but i think older artists older creators uh, kind of have that mentality uh, that, that there's, there's one way to be a professional and there's also one way to be a, 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 a creator. Yeah. Um, and just some people are monastic. Some people like need, need to be alone with the drippy candles. Um, uh-huh. 
and you you can't fight that. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's funny that that one way that you're referring to it's it's strange because it's this very sort of like centrist kind of point of view that we all have. You know, we have a very we're naturally born with the centrist point of view. You know, and and the 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 you know sort of the the feedback loop is. I'm here. I've made it this far. I've done this. This is the way it works. So that's, that's the way. So that's why we have, you know, this sort of plethora of billionaires out there telling everyone how to do stuff in the world because they're conflating the ability to make very large sums of money with being right about everything. And it's like, and so like we can dial that back a bit to the, you know, the, 50 hey the 55 year old creative who's like well this is the way to do it now i i don't put myself in that category just because of the fact that i've had to reinvent myself so many times mm-hmm. that i don't think there is one way to do it because i've had to change you know this you know ex- extenuating circumstances have forced me to change and i think that as you say, the generational things, well, that's where the change, the change always comes from the younger point of view on by and large, you know, and the elder states people of the world always have to go like, okay, well, we, we will make these accommodations and eventually those accommodations become de rigueur Mm -hmm. and eventually they have to make the changes for the next waves coming in. I mean, it's just the, the ocean chipping away at the beach kind of thing. It's true. And I, I find the exceptions to that really cool. Like there, there are creators um, who who have stayed plugged in to the way things are changing and okay. continue to put out. Like I think Kyle Baker is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. The way that Kyle Baker over the course of his career has embraced uh, not just digital art, which he was, he was pretty ahead of the game on, but also just different storytelling formats that work better for the internet. Uh, yeah. For um, Without without going the path that is most common without just doing uh, the, the Kickstarter, Patreon rinse, repeat route, which is very reliable. A lot of people do that really well. Yeah. Um, in fact, Tom Scioli, uh, I, I, I don't know anybody else who reads his comics, so I never say his name out loud, but um, he just had a, a new comic, Witch Man, uh, successfully, funded on Kickstarter. I, I love his work. So I love people who do do that, mm-hmm. but it's exciting to see somebody like Kyle Baker, a, a guy who's, who's been a creative, but literally longer than I've been alive, right. yeah. uh, be like more on the ball than some people in my, my cohort, you know, he's, you know, and I mean, you know, I was, so I was talking with, um, Duncan Figredo just the other day, and I, you know, I put Duncan in that category of a person who is, was, is constantly in the struggle, like putting themselves in the struggle of discomfort to do something. And that something always ends up being kind of fantastic because of that level of discomfort. And, <laughs> you know, and I think Kyle is like that. Um, it's funny because he was like, notorious when i was in art art school you know i think saturn just came out and you know we you know so we were all just kind of like wow man and i think oh i'm pretty sure kyle went also to the same school i went to so he you know so he had this sort of legendary status in the school and 
then I think during my junior or senior year, he came and he spoke in one of the classes I took. I had this amazing teacher, Bob Stewart, who was an historian of comics. And Bob brought all these amazing people in the class, but Kyle was one of them. And man, it was, it was, it was truly kind of like one of those really revelatory moments of having someone like, I mean, he brought, he brought Kurtzman in, which was great, you know, because you're like, Oh, but Kurtzman was teaching at the school. I think maybe Kurtzman had just stopped teaching, but then he came back to come to this class. But, um, it was just one of those things, but Kyle, man, like, yeah, you're right. I mean, he is one of those people who I think if you can embrace the discomfort, you know, as they say, or they say like in special operations, you know, in, embrace the suck, you know, yeah. like you can get through it. Um, no, I, uh, there's a big, you know, some, some of that is deadlines, crunches sometimes generate your best work. I, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm that same way. Um, but also limitations encourage creativity. Um, like obviously I'm doing flash Gordon now, which is a, a brand new format. Doing a newspaper strip is a new format for me. Um, I've done a weekly comic before in lavender Jack. Um, so I, I, I've had, I've had one light level of understanding. Like you start out just doing a m- monthly comic mm-hmm. and, so, and you know how to condense into an issue. And so, now, so with lavender Jack, you're condensing into a, a week which is about like a third of an issue a week. Mm-hmm. And then there's Flash Gordon where you're, you're condensing it into, into panels. Like a third of a page a day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, 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 the type has to be really big because you're in newspapers. And mm-hmm. honestly, my type's probably on the small side of, of what's uh, legible in papers. So I'm, I'm even pushing that, that dimension. But it, it forces you to really wean out the extraneous stuff like how can i uh you know how the 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 thing that made um kurtzman such a genius how can i like turn a whole fight scene into two panels yeah yeah totally and you get you come up with some really cool stuff there like i'm i'm using um captions more than i ever have before like to really really generate a lot of plot material that is important to the story, but it's not important enough that I can waste a whole day on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's pretty exciting stuff, really. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's almost like a bit of a reverse of the, you know, the picture tell a thousand words thing where you're like, well, the caption is going to tell like four days worth of, of drawing. So right. <laughs> I'm just going to do that. And then on, on top of that, you have these little squares you get to work in uh, mm-hmm. for the panels. They're very, very small panels. And so you, you like between the captions and the, uh, and the, and the visuals, you start like, you start thinking about the captions, like it's a radio play. Mm-hmm. Like how can I elegantly suggest a world outside of the, the nothing we're able to see? Yeah. And then you also start thinking like a, like a filmmaker on a budget where, um, you know, all right, we, we, we don't have an army, but we can put like three foregrounded guys on the left side of the panel and then have the characters look at the right side of the panel being like, wow, what a big army. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and if you do it right, it, you just like the, the art, the audience draws the army for you. Totally. Yeah, no, totally. I, um, it, it, it brings out the concept of the, 
uh, the iceberg story philosophy. I don't know if you're aware of that. So the concept of the iceberg story philosophy is because we know we see what 10% of an iceberg. So the idea is that that's what you show the reader. So, you know, and it's, 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 you know, I learned about it, you know, in, in, in writing prose is that you just need to show them enough that the reader will go, oh, like there's a whole thing here, but you don't have to sit and explain the whole thing or in this case, show the whole thing. So the reader goes, oh, okay, cool. I'm in. I'm totally in. <laughs> Boy, that's so true. I mean, that, that's what drew me so much to hard boiled detective fiction in the first place is a you know thing like um he he had a face like a busted tail light yeah uh like the um the and it's the same thing you get out of poetry it's the same thing you get out of like rap lyrics like the yeah it's suggesting the other the, the 98 percent of the iceberg yeah it's a that's a real i i never heard the iceberg uh, imagery applied to that. I really like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and uh, to me, it's something that is truly applicable in what you have is such a limited, you know, space mm. to tell things. So you get that op- opportunity. Um, hopping sideways in this one. How do you like, I mean, how do you reckon then like with Hal Foster, you know, like how it doesn't seem to me that Foster was trying to fast forward through things. Like I always felt like, you know, I, cause I grew up reading that stuff mm-hmm. and like, it was, it was a highlight to get, you know, okay, cool. I'll get to look at Valiant, you know, cause it was a beautiful and like, but like, I never felt like he was just kind of, you know, okay. Hinting at things like he was like, I'm putting it all in here. And you know, yeah. you just get to read for seven months to figure out what this is. Well, I mean, no- nothing against Alex Raymond. Who's like, I, 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 the more I delve into Alex Raymond's work, the the more just uh, kind of floored I am by by the amount of the uh, the amount of storytelling that's that's contained in his figures as a writer. And I, I assume he had you know scripting assistance at various points, but um, he, as a as a writer in those first these uh, those first ten years or so, um, the, the the first six of which are really the ones I'm, I'm pulling from the, the story uh, does kind of lurch around a little sometimes. Like we do z- uh, glaze over stuff that might've been interesting to sit with. Mm-hmm. And so I actually have been pulling from Hal Foster a lot. Oh, I have cool. this um, like just off camera. I, I have this uh, big, um, I think Fantagraphics a couple years ago put out sort of a, a tabloid sized um, full color collection of some, some, um, Prince Valiant comics and the language is so beautiful. The language is so, yeah. um, it's poetic and it's, uh, it's kind of playful. Um, but it can also be quite serious. Um, it's, it's, it's so charismatic. Like, um, I, I just know I'm going to look back at these first, um, you know, batch of Flash Gordon strips I'm doing and feel like I, like I'm either over or underwriting it because I'm trying to hit this really specific, beautiful way of of uh, doing uh, non diegetic, you know, uh, uh, language in the comic. Mm-hmm. That um, that just uh, I mean, it, it, it's amazing when you're reading Prince Valiant. You you feel you feel enmeshed in this whole world. It's yeah. it's absolute top tier iceberg. 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that's, it's an interest. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's an iceberg in a planet with a different, um, gravity well or gravity yeah. force. So you see a lot more of that iceberg. Um, yes. <laughs> it just floats on top. It's maybe you can make an iceberg out of like hydrogen or helium and it would float right there on top. But uh, <laughs> an so airberg. How, how did it come? I mean, an airberg. Ooh, write that down. Mm. Should use that. Um, so how did Flash Gordon come about? Because I mean, listen, for those people who are putting the pieces together that you are doing Flash Gordon King features like in the papers. This is like a. It's like insanely cool for anybody who grew up with a love for strips because they're they're even more rare, you know, than comic book creation in the sense because there's such a limited real estate available. So it's like who gets in? Yeah. So how did it happen, man? Well, um, I. A couple of years ago, um, when Lavender Jack was, um, we were heading into Lavender Jack's last season. I, um, I, I I'd had a nice steady gig for a couple of years, which I was, which is like amazing in comics. I felt so lucky for that, and I thought, well, I've developed a, sort of a skill set here. So I reached out to to T at King Features, who um, who I'd met socially, and um, and I, I'd seen what uh what she was doing over there with um uh like uh, jules rivera taking over mark trail uh i just saw some really exciting stuff happening uh, at king and so i i said hey if i i just sent sent a cold email like if uh you know if, if uh you want to you want i think i think i said something like if you want somebody to show rip kirby how to use instagram let me know um I love that. <laughs> um, and then we we had worked together briefly on a Flash Gordon anthology that they were doing called Flash Forward. It was forty uh, different creators slash creative teams doing uh, single like one and done Flash Gordon strips, non canonical, just kind of not connected to each other. Just you know, here you get one Sunday, do a Flash Gordon thing. You know, what do you got? And so some people did very traditional stuff some people did like queer romances or comedy strips or um uh, just really really quite cool thing with uh, with incredibly diverse styles i think the the two people i was sandwiched between when my strip came out was uh, kel mcdonald and dennis kitchen okay um so uh so i i was invited to do one of those um and uh, so I, I, I had worked, I had done one flash thing for them and it was, um, I don't, I don't, I think that's probably more comorbid than, than causative. I, I don't think that it wasn't like that was a, a dry run or anything. I don't think they knew they were going to do flash. Yet. Right. Um, but it's, uh, um, it, it however however that ended up panning out uh, about six months after i sent that cold email t got in touch to say like hey we we'd like you to pitch for something can can like can you take a meeting with us and i was i was i, I went through their 
the, their comics and I tried to figure out which one it would be mm -hmm. like, like who's, who's changing, who's and my thought was, I think it's going to be judge Parker. Okay. And, uh, and then my, my ideal, uh, and I'd love to talk about this later was the phantom. I'm like, okay, it kind of oh, feels like yeah. maybe the phantom switching up, um, mm -hmm. which I, I don't believe was the case. And I, uh, last thing I thought that it was going to be was flash Gordon. Sure. Um, so I obviously uh, said yes to um, to pr pitching for it. There, there were a couple different people um, that they were they were reaching out to, and uh, I just did a, a deep dive into Flash. I, I I read as much of the original years as I could because I knew that that's what I wanted to mine from mm -hmm. the, yeah. the the first. Like the place my mind went right to was like doing Batman the animated series for Flash Gordon. Okay, yeah, like yeah. something that's very, um, very traditional to it, but that feels modern. Um, and uh, so I, I I pitched basically that something that was fresh but very fidelious, and um, and over the next year or so, we we kind of went back and forth on it until finally I I was the guy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it's so strange because like you don't, I mean, like almost every person who's into comics, you know, knows Flash Gordon. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a lot of people's introduction might be the, um, you know, the movie, mm -hmm. which, you know, is amazing in its own way. Um, yeah. But like it is, I mean, it's just like Superman or... Spider-Man Flash Flash Gordon is just this sort of like iconic, you know, you know, chiseled in stone hero mm -hmm. in, in the pantheon. Like we all know this character to one degree or another, but time has sort of erased you know, that sort of the the the, the continuity aspect of who that character is. That's true. He's uh there is a, a Citizen Kane effect where because everything has borrowed from Flash Gordon mm -hmm. uh, so much that when you go back to the original, it can seem like y you're only seeing what's been pulled from it. You don't see what's what's still there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one one quite useful thing about that Flash Forward anthology was seeing 40 different creative teams do do a little bit of flash gordon a lot of whom are younger creators you know we, we had uh, you know queer creators creators of color who would not have worked on flash before right or or been that familiar with flash in some cases um or or as well as old teams that have known him their whole lives there's i got to see what people kind of think of him you know think of flash the character specifically but also yeah. think of the the world at large and and there's there was a trend towards you know he's corny he's he's outdated he's um he's kind of a boob he's um like that that was the uh like the the most common characterization that I kind of picked up was that he was like Mr. Peanut Butter from BoJack Horseman <laughs> okay um and uh and honestly, the initial version I pitched was a little more in that direction. Like I, I was, um, Flash was not quite a cronk, but again, in that direction. 
but King um, responded with, we, we want, we don't want funny. We want a, a, a real, we want a hero. We right. want a straightforward classical heroic character. And so that made me revisit it because my, my thought was always that flash flash is a hero. He's a really good person. Mm-hmm. He, he always, you know, kind of approaches a problem with his hand extended. Yeah, sure. Um, and so now that I had that in mind, it's like, all right, so forget about the history for a little bit. Um, cause Flash Gordon doesn't know he's Flash Gordon. He doesn't know he's this iconic comic book character who's been around for 90 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Flash is, is just kind of living one long weird day. Uh, he, he, he didn't plan on going in space. He didn't plan on becoming, you know, one of the figureheads of a alien revolutionary war. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, every little step of the way just kind of made sense. He's going with the flow. And, uh, and so once you kind of enter that headspace where he's, he's not a type, he's a guy yep. who happens to exemplify that type. Um, I don't know. All of a sudden I felt like I was getting some pretty interesting places with it in a place that is, isn't commenting on Flash Gordon, but just is Flash Gordon, you know? Yeah. No. And, and I get, and I can get the, um, the impulse on the commentary, you know, because it's sort of like, you know, the, you know, things, things, everything becomes out of time eventually. So like, like, so commentary becomes the sort of like easiest tool to kind of grab. And, but, you know, I I think, and it's, you know, it's so interesting because I'm rereading um, John Carter. So it's, it's, you know, Mm. that side. So I, you know, if I'm between, you know, books or whatever, I'll grab, you know, for a few nights I'll sit and I'll just read through some John Carter stuff and then go on to the next thing. So it's just there for everybody. It's like, it's like a three inch thick, you know, collection of all this stuff. So it's going to be there for a while. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but you, you think about that and you think about, um, was, uh, the DC character. I'm blanking on the, the, the warlord. No, the one, oh, I love the warlord. Um, which is yeah, very much of that too. Oh, uh, Adam Strange. Yeah, sure. Like I mean, so all those all these characters are like are of maybe I guess probably Carter was probably the first of the, this lot, and they've just all sort of been some version of this kind of theme, and it's kind of cool to see like all these interpretations. But now, like you're getting to take that source material and say, okay, here we're gonna you know I'm gonna I'm going to tell this story, and you know with what you showed me like it's amazing like it's very much like it's not this sort of like beginning here we are day one moment one and we're like you are we're in the adventure the adventure is happening yeah yeah i i was um i was sort of inspired by um like stuff like all-star superman Mm -hmm. where you're you're in a world that's pre-established relationships that are pre-established and you kind of you have an idea of what the lore in this version of the, of the story is Um, not all the points, but you kind of have an idea of where you are and it, it makes it so that it's not a a day one origin story, but hopefully is still accessible Mm -hmm. Um, in kind of that, that, that wonderful uh, magnetic charismatic format where 
you're meeting characters on like the busiest day of their year. And, and there, there isn't time to linger with them. There isn't time to, you know, to really, I mean, this was in my pitch. It's, it's not, you know, meditations in a lonesome universe, Gordon, you know, it's right. flash Gordon. It's it, it, things are, things are happening fast. The stakes are big. Uh, something's on fire or blowing up or full of electricity. Uh, we, and, and I think that that energy is infectious, even if you don't know uh, like what, what the kingdom of Phrygia is or like who Prince Voltan is. You're, you're just kind of zoned into the energy. Mm -hmm. um, what, what did you think? So you, you've, you've seen some of the comic now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. You know, listen, I'm, I'm biased on a couple, couple platforms of this one. You know, one, I, I like you, I like your work. Um, you know, two, I love Flash Gordon. So I'm, you know, and I love strips. So the combination of these three things, I'm like, well, like I'm already in, you know, without having to, you know, you, you could have sold me an empty box full of rocks. I would have been like, well, you know, I should have probably looked in the box before I bought the box, but, um, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. I, like I said, I like that we hop in the thing, you know, mm -hmm. we, the, the, the train has left the station and we get dropped off on it. And now we have to figure out what's happening contextually. So the information that you're delivering while we are in, in motion is what we have to work with. And which is very much how I like stories. I, I, I find that, you know, in my, in my prose work, I don't do a lot of telling the reader what's going on. Like my, mm -hmm. my point of view is pretty close to the point of view character. It's, and I'm not, and it's not first person. So I'm able to kind of give some information, but not, and I'm not telling you like they felt bad. They felt happy. Like I'm just letting you kind of buy in with what's happening and the information. So the characters don't know. Like, so mm -hmm. if there's somebody pursuing them and that have not made themselves clear to them, they have no idea. So that, and I, and I'm rarely am I hopping over to the bad guy's point of view to let the reader know I want it to be a surprise. Like I want it to, you know, like, and then if I need the reader to know something so they can get anxious about it, I'll let them know about that. But otherwise mm -hmm. I like the idea of like going, Oh, you know, what's happening. I like what's happening. Like the TV show from the seventies. I like it as a storytelling device as well. <laughs> um, and the, and, and the work's great. Like it really, it's got a really nice feeling to the work. Like if it, and it doesn't feel of before, you know, mm -hmm. feel like, okay, well this feels like Dan's trying to make it look like old school flash Gordon. Dan's doing Dan, which I think is great, which works out well. Um, I think the style that you have evolved into at this point of your life is one that is super clear and easy to understand. It's not overwrought. Well, I'm, I'm uh, thank you for that. Thank you very much. And that's certainly the hope that, you know, because it's going to be, it's going to be printed, you know, tiny in newspapers. Yeah. Uh, Clarity is the name of the game. Like you're, you're playing to the back seats. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, you know, it's, uh, you, uh, b because you're telling a science fiction action story with those constraints, you start trying to script it in ways that, that are conducive to that. 
Mm -hmm. Like you, you start trying to script things that are, are bigger, weirdly enough, like, because you're so small, you, it kind of needs to be bigger so you can see the contrast. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that's coming across so far. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your and your sort of your, your preamble Sunday that you made is really great because it is a good, good primer, you know, it gets everybody kind of like, Oh, okay. I'm bored. Like in case you don't know, <laughs> yeah, Flash Gordon. If somehow you missed Flash Gordon in some aspect in the last ninety years, um, here you go. Um, I, I just so last night um, I I had uh, my my dear friend over, and they'd never seen the the eighties um, uh, movie before. Okay, the, the Sam Jones movie, um, and, uh, and and they, they were they were excited. They they know that I'm doing the strip so they they wanted to like get get acquainted with what the property is and uh and by the time that we're we're on planet mongo by the time they've landed there there's been there's been so many like and then and then and then things that have happened like you know all right so there there's there's meteorites pelting the earth and there's earthquakes and there's a scientist and he's got a gun and and he it, it, there's a there's a football player and now we're on an alien planet like like right. so much just happened and uh and you know you can live inside that for a while but i feel like to do it justice you'd need to spend so much time in it that by the time we get to the planet it's been too long right um so starting out with a a a strip that just tells you yeah here's what the planet's about like here here's what it's like Here's who's in charge. And then by the way, now there's three humans. Go enjoy. It feels like a map key. Yeah. You know? Like that's what that feels like. That that's here's a little key to the map so you understand how to t get your way around on whatever sort of you know territory you're trying to navigate through. But yeah, I I love the planet Mongo. I, I've got maps that I, I reference from yeah. different eras of the comic, and I, I sort of try and overlay those to, to find a version of the topography that I want to use. Um, but I, I, I think the planet is so cool. Mm. I, I, I have the classical interpretation where the different kingdoms aren't moons. They're, they're just nations on the planet. I think that's also part of why I wanted to start the comic there. Like, like why strip number one, Sunday number one is a history of the planet because this is where we're going to spend the whole series. Right. You know, we're, this is like our uh, Westeros. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so I, I, I want, I, I didn't want to make the planet, I didn't want the planet to feel disposable or transitory. Mm -hmm. I, I want it to feel like this is, this is the place that the story is about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, 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 you were talking and I, sort of like time traveled and thought of myself like how exciting this would be for me as a kid to discover this like you know and i think about like all the young people out there who will come on come upon this and they're going to like it's going to trigger the excitement gene of adventure of story of creativity in, 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 you know, another generation to come. And like, this will be one of those things. Like if they're a kid 
like me who liked science fiction over other stuff, but loves comics, you know, and it can like, if you can get that, you know, that overlap happening, well, then you get a person who goes like, well, this is, this is what I really, really want to do, you know, and then you, you kind of go from there. And like, I'm, I'm excited by that, you know, it's cause it's, because it's not like, and all of a sudden I'm old and, you know, I'm thinking the newspaper's landing on everyone's, you know, porch every morning, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's this idea that like, this is the thing that's going to be in somebody's household. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of stuff is the stuff that is part of your life versus the thing that you have to go and hunt down and, and, and discover, which is great in it for a whole myriad of other reasons. I, I love that. I love that too. I, I love, um, I love the thought of being this little artifact, uh, in, you know, when, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, we cut comics out mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I, I had a, a book that I pasted them down and I had like a little book of comic strips, you know, you put them on the fridge and times have changed a little bit. I, I don't think it's going to be quite like that for kids. Um, but also it's going to be online now. Yeah. Um, you know, I have this whole online audience from doing Lavender Jack, this young audience who likes reading comics on the internet. And there's going to be a little chunk of, of, of story for them every single day yeah. of the week um, for free. Right. And, and that's, that's beautiful. I can't believe that I've had two jobs like this where I get to create something that I, I would want to read if I, if, if I wasn't making it something, something that's not just exciting, but also, uh, like kind of humanist and optimistic, mm-hmm. um, something that I think can make people, you know, that can be fun, but also kind of make them feel seen and yeah. hopefully, um, and, and to, to do that with, with a, a, a weekly and now daily regularity and to do it for free, like to do it at, at no cost to the reader. That's right. uh, I mean, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a mitzvah, you know, that's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Like, I mean, you know, I have all these talks with all these great people week after week, but then like all these new things pop in my head that I'm like, why did I never like re- recognize this before? But like, you know, I grew up reading comics. I love comic books. They're like my thing, but man, the strip was like, that was every single day. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it was, whether it was funny or it was an adventure or a drama, they were there every day and I could get my story fill every day, just grab the newspaper, open it up to that, that section. And there it is. Yeah. And that was, that's why I did not like the New York times as a kid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, can, uh, can I ask about your, you know, your time in, in, Daily strip. Yeah, our brief, brief, brief. Uh, passing. Uh, you know, meteor shower of it. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I just actually spoke to uh, my studio partner of the time, um, today because he, so he he gave himself a one year project to do a daily um, on Instagram. So he did the daily uh, funny um, strip. So like you know three three four panel kind of thing, and then he did colored Sundays. 
and it was great. And he's funny and he's so talented. And so every week, you know, I've just been reading these and then they, they stopped and life is busy. And, sure. and I kept going like, I gotta, I gotta talk to Eric. I gotta talk to Eric. And then I knew I was going to talk to you today. So I texted him this morning saying, what's going on? You know, because I need to know, you know, and he's like, Oh, well, I, I, I gave myself a year to do it and uh-huh. years up. I'm like, Oh, cause it just ended. He didn't like go like, well, you know, we're on break now. Like he didn't do a little kind of funny there. So, mm-hmm. so this is 1993. Okay. Or 93, 94. And Eric, Eric loves strips. That's like, I think his dream job would be to do a daily strip of some sort. Mm-hmm. And he was doing special projects and still does, but he did special projects for DC at the time. So he was doing all the the um, the blister pack board artwork for the Batman toys that you probably had in your house growing up. Gotcha. Okay. So all that kind of stuff is is you know that's Eric. You know I, you know I you know I'd be in the studio and he you know, I'd be drawing superheroes punching each other and then on his table he's drawing like you know under sea Batman you know and that like some dr- what's a what is his name Eric Dozier. E O E S C H E R Dozier. It's a, uh, Eric with a K. Okay. Yeah. So Eric, um, I don't, I, I don't remember the whole chain of events, but Eric came home and said, Hey, you got, he's like, you're interested in drawing, uh, helping me draw the, the, you know, the phantom. And I was like, you mean like the phantom from the cartoon, you know, like the strip. And he's like, yeah. And I said, was sure, you know, so, and then another friend of ours was sort of doing time in our studio. So we had like three people at the most, um, on any day. And, uh, so we, you know, scripts came in like stack of scripts and we would just start drawing and inking these things. And do you remember who was writing? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. So Lee Falk was the guy. Mm-hmm. And I think Lee, Lee was, you know, you know, north of 70 at the time. So I don't mm-hmm. think he was really doing, I think he was, had a story idea and then whomever was his assistant would generate the scripts and then they went to King and then they went to us. I see. So yeah, they, so the scripts came in and we started drawing them and Eric has a, Eric has a very sort of clean linear style, not too dissimilar to you in the sense, but um, you know, with, the Batman animated series having been only a year or two old, it, he wasn't, he wasn't directly influenced by that. He could do that stuff, but his stuff is just naturally very clean and um, sort of thick lined. Mm-hmm. We're doing that. And then it was also the time that Hellboy came out mm. and we were like, and you know, being all being fans of Mignola for, you know, a decade of his work, but seeing Mike, evolve his style over that period of time like there was a there was a summer leading up to hellboy's appearance where mike did a whole bunch of covers for dc like he did Mm -hmm. like i don't know i mean maybe close to 20 like it was a big big run of covers and they went from being the um was it ironheart he did, he did the graphic novel with Howard Chaikin um, called Ironheart. Maybe Craig Russell inked it. Sorry if it wasn't him. And 
that that style was what he sort of last had done and then and then after that it's like hellboy which they're very different like there's just this huge weight difference yeah when i think of that legends of the dark knight annual cover he did uh with uh batman standing in magma holding a great sword with a big dragon behind him right it's that that all of a sudden it's hellboy yes so that's the period that there was this sort of this what i call the summer you know i'm sure it was much longer than that but there were just because we would get the comps and in yeah. come all these comps and it was just like mignola cover mignola cover mignola. like it, it seemed like they were just like all of his and it felt like he was that was his like you know try test and evaluation period like from going from what we sort of had known him to do to this this what we now know to be this iconic kind of line work and we were all like on board. We're like, yeah. we loved it. And so <laughs> you, you caught the Velvet Underground and now it was time yeah, to make a band. Totally. So totally. And we started morphing <laughs> the Phantom Daily into this sort of pseudo Mignola Hellboy look, which after I'm sure of a month or so, like somebody was like, you know, in the office, it's like, um, have you guys actually taken a look at what's happening here? <laughs> so I, I, eventually we had to change that tone that back. And then eventually, like, I think we, they just slowly pulled it away from us. Um, yeah. but it, it, you know, I, I think, you know, for Eric, it was the only one who was really super disappointed because he loves strips. Um, and he had a good relationship with Lee. Like they were friends. Mm, like they, mm-hmm. He, he, the, the man was living in his penthouse apartment off of, um, central park, you know, because you know, listen, the man made the, you know, made his bones when the syndicate was the syndicate and he, yeah. you know, was living the artist's dream. And, um, it was, yeah, it was quite a, quite an interesting, uh, place right. and period, but it was, it was great. It was a grind to, to do the work. Um, having, you know, three of us made it kind of, at least that Eric didn't have to do it all himself. He could, mm-hmm. he could just like block it out or I could block it out or, you know, and then just pass it on to the next person to do the next chunk. And like, we were just kind of, it was like a studio, you know, riff. It, there's something else. so you guys were physically sharing the studio right yeah, yeah. uh that's the dream these are old days yeah <laughs> um i remember when i was uh i was a part of the helioscope studio back in portland which i think we talked about last time uh last time we talked um which which of uh, uh, uh helioscope of course is a collective of comic book artists uh in uh, in portland oregon where i used to live uh, it has about 25 or so members ranging from you know like when i joined i was 25 and uh the oldest member of the studio was ron randall who i think was 60 at the time Mm -hmm. and then you had uh you know erica moen dylan maconis you you had uh uh, jeff parker and colleen coover and ron chan like you had people doing such different things all sharing one space and every once in a while a job would come through that required all hands on deck um, there was, there was one where, uh, we, it was, it was something like we've been hired by a big company to do some corporate illustrations. We had to create like 27 illustrations in two weeks. Wow. And 
And so we, we did that. I, I penciled everything and then uh, handed it off to three anchors who handed it off to three colorists. And it, and oh, it just felt so good. Yeah. It felt like, man, if we, it, it was like working on the, uh, like Dan Dare back in the, in the sixties where there was like, like manga style production where there's like an overseer and assistants and, you know, somebody doing research. They used to have research assistants on comic books. I That's mean, crazy. It, we, we used to have a real country. And, <laughs> oh, is it, this is the platform, huh? Yes. Um, <laughs> Make comics great again. Is that what you're saying? That's, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm climbing down off my soapbox and trying to remember what, what we were actually talking well, about. We were talking, yeah, we were talking about the studio space. space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, you know, I, I have a pretty solitary setup right now. Um, I'm, I'm the only person doing flash and I think probably that'll change at some point. I think I might onboard a, a colorist at some point, mm-hmm. um, for here at the beginning, I wanted to do it all and kind of, kind of get my head around it that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I, I'm pretty happy with the product so far, but it is, it is lonesome. It's, it's nice having someone else to, to share that energy with, even if you're not sharing a space, mm-hmm. if you're just sharing a, a project, that's, uh, um, it can be real easy to forget that you're not the only person in the world when you're, when you're up at 4am making. Yeah. Yeah. So, because the one of the things I wrote down here is how are you like, how are you approaching the body of work? Because I mean, you mentioned earlier when we started talking that you work at, at night. So, and you say 4am and you know, my, my soul just cringes at the thought of being up at that hour anymore. Um, unless I went to bed at 8, 8, 8 PM and then I'll be fine with that. But, um, like, how do you like, cause I mean, it's a, it's a very different type of work than, you know, a co- traditional comic books in the, in the terms of what, what it demands as far as a final product and the schedule that is, is demanded. So how do you like, how do you approach that for you? Well, it's, you're right. It's a, it's a grind and I'm finding my footing with it. I'm, I'm not quite where I think I, I want to be. Um, and but I'm, I'm, I'm finding that rhythm. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, um, I mean, six dailies and a Sunday, um, is a lot to begin with, but also there's a lot of other mental gymnastics involved just in the, in the planning of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's seven days, but some papers only get the Sundays or only get the dailies. So you have to tell a story that works with reading those independent of each other. Mm -hmm. And some papers only get the bottom two of the three rows of the Sunday. Um, Wow. Yeah. So you have to tell a story that can be read over either. uh, What is that? 24. So a story that can be read over either 32 panels or six. Okay. Um, And and obviously you expand on, on the story during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Sundays become summaries of what happened that week, but um, from the perspective of a different character. 
Right. Um, so I, we're, we're recapping, but if you're reading it day to day, you're getting a different um, perspective on it. But it's still, it's still a lot to juggle. Um, some papers uh, publish them vertically, so you have to keep that in mind. Um, it's it's going to be in color. like the, the dailies are in color online and in some papers, but in most papers, they're black and white. Right. Um, so it's, and some, some readers are, are like, it has to be kind of legible to people who can't read the captions always. So it's, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot to carry in your head. Um, I, I think of those montages of, uh, of the X-Men in the danger room, like going through the hoop and ducking the fire and dodging the, the morning star machine. Um, but that is also something that will become more secondhand the longer I do it. Yeah. And it's already starting to feel that way. Right. It's like playing, it's like play, uh, two things I was thinking about. First, I was, I'm a fan of Formula One and I think about the drivers. Like they need to learn the course, mm-hmm. you know, and they practice on the, you know, on the simulators and then they, they, they get practice sessions and that's it. There's no like, hey, well, let's fly over to that track and practice. They don't get that opportunity. It's only these, these, you know, prescribed moments. And like once they learn that track, then they can start really doing their job. Like their job isn't, isn't just to get around the track. There's a whole level of skill sets that they can employ as, you know, car racers. And then I think it's a similar thing, like with music, like you need to learn the song. So then you can actually do the job of a musician. Yeah. In the, in the moment of doing the song. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many new things you need to learn when you're starting a new gig. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, be it you know a, a set or or a, a series. Um, like, the Flash Gordon has a big, big cast, um, especially for a comic strip. It has, um, it has a, so many different characters who are so different from each other, mm-hmm. who don't necessarily interact with each other. Um, it's Flash Gordon lore is like it's 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 like a a, a Saturday morning friendly version of Dune, and, and so I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's so perfect. <laughs> and so you're, you know, part of what's been making it hard for me to get my footing so far is every other day I'm introducing something new. I'm learning how to draw something new. Um, and, uh, and so that you, you, you're carrying that in your head as well. But this week, like the, the strips I'm doing, um, that I'll go back to drawing after we finish this, this, uh, this conversation is the beginning of the, all right, now, now it's Dale, it's Zarkov and it's Flash and they're in a spaceship and they're going to a place where they're going to get in some trouble and they're going to get out of it and they're going to go to another place. Like it's getting in that flash gordon rhythm mm-hmm. um where we're, we're we're zooming in from from the big scope from the war story we've been telling the first couple of weeks we're getting into a more condensed adventure story okay and and already i'm feeling like all right this this is this is the groove this this, this is where i'm comfortable um because i'm not a science fiction guy okay 
I, um, I don't consume a lot of science fiction. I'm not, I, I don't dislike it. I, um, you know, I, I, but my science fiction tastes trend more towards like Blade Runner. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, um, there's, there's definitely like, I'd never drawn a, a dog fight before. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like an aerial dog fight. Um, but <laughs> not pitbulls. What's that? Not pit bulls, but uh, right, right. Um, which I'm sure we'll do at some point, you know. Yeah. But they've got two heads, Headed right? Dogs, yes. Um, but it's so the, there. There's also some switching costs there. Yeah, but it also means I don't have a lot of preconceived notions that I'm working around. Um, I think the fact that I come from from crime comics mm-hmm. and uh, and mysteries. Um, it, to, to the point that when I when I've told certain people, you know, while while this was under production before it had been announced, I would tell some colleagues like, "I'm I'm doing a, a I've taken over a strip for King Features, uh, and it's kind of a big one." And the, a surprising number of people said, "Oh, you're doing the Phantom." Well, yeah, I mean, that's you, you mentioned it before, and you asked me because I worked on the Phantom. Like, it is a very much you. Like, like, uh, you know, if from casting, well, yeah, put Dan in the Phantom. That's kind of, that makes a lot of sense. Right. But I think that that it's, it's like how great uh, Bill Hader was when he made Barry. Yeah. Like this guy who we know for his comedy chops doing something dark and, and, and serious and, and still funny, but in a super bleak Swedish way. <laughs> and I think that that contrast could be really, really exciting. Yep, and so I and I'm bringing that to Flash. I'm bringing the the this kind of noir element to it, but it's it's sublimated. It's it's an it's noir in the vibe. Because I tell you who else went from doing crime fiction into doing Flash Gordon is um, uh, Mike Hodge or Hodges Mike Hodges who directed the movie. Because before he did Flash Gordon, he did like the hardest, most iconic British crime film ever, Get Carter. Yeah, which is great. It's so good. It's so and good. and if you if you see them, they are kind of in conversation with each other. Like you do see the 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 fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, going from uh. Yeah, go, go, going from something hard like that into something fantastical, there can be a very cool uh, chemical reaction. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, you know, it's so, it's so interesting. You know, we, I think, you know, creative people run into these common themes and, you know, issues in, in their career. Like one of them, you know, style. Style is this big thing. We all talk about style, you know, right. it, it, you know, whether you're writing, what's your voice or whether it's your art, you know, what's your style. And, you know, you know, I, you know, like I never even thought I had a style, you know, but friends can say, oh, I know what your style is. I'm like, well, you can oh. see it, but I can't see it. And I had a friend who read some stuff from my, my novel and they were like, like it's so interesting because it's science fiction, but they're going. Well, it feels like I'm reading like a like a like a hard boiled detective novel, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, like but like that's just sort of how I must view 
the, the conversation, you know, like, like yeah. there's just sort of this kind of grim frankness to my desire to tell a story or at least in the way I tell it. So I like that. I like the idea that you're, you know, you're imparting your very sort of crime focused mind into this world of like, you know, bright color adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the other thing of it. Like, I feel like when you hear I'm bringing a film noir element to, to Flash Gordon, I feel like there's a thing that pops into your head of what that looks like, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't account for the fact that my preferred way of coloring myself is super like John Higginsy. Like I, I like, um, and part of it is I'm making it really bright because it's going to be printed darker mm-hmm. in newspapers. But I, I love like yellows and weird soupy greens, and uh, like I, I, I like, I like color, and um, and I don't want color to just fill out the inks. I want color to like add a complete other thing to it. Totally. You, you look at. Uh, um, you know, when we were watching the Flash Gordon movie last night, my my friend, who's like really into hyper pop and uh, like they love Grimes, right? And Charlie XCX, they were just like going nuts over the costumes and the the colors and the weird like tie dye uh, skies. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I I not only do I like that on its own, but just like. John Higgins uh, coloring Dave Gibbons in Watchmen or Brian Boland in Killing Joke, you have somebody who's using dark black lines, like big, big black spotting. And, and now the color have the colors have that to work against. Yeah. You you have, you know, mint chip ice cream. It's 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 so it's so and, and by the way, comparing myself not only to one of the best colorists of the 80s, but also to Dave Gibbons and Brian Boland. I'm not drawing a line there. Oh, listen, dude, um, I, I thought if any... That wouldn't be fair to them. I'm just better. I, I I didn't find any offense in that. It was you comparing yourself to Minchip Ice Cream, which was making me pretty upset. <laughs> hey, let's be um, honest. Green Minchip Ice Cream is better than the white Minchip Ice Cream. Oh, yeah. Hands down. You got to have the color in there. Yeah, no, that... Nobody has argued otherwise without their pinky extended. (laughs) And I'd chop it right off. I would Yakuza (laughs) their pinky right off for that kind of behavior. Knock that thing off with those sharp ass white mint chip uh, nuggets. God, they're they're, they're like nuggets. Yeah, oh man, there's they're 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 like onyx those things. Yes, yeah, yeah. and they're precious. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, listen, color is massive. Like, we because we have such a powerful, broad gamut of color now available in you know in the publishing world that didn't exist thirty plus years ago. It's exciting because you yeah. can re- because a colorist can now service far closer to like a cinematographer in in the in the process of storytelling than ever before yeah and i think that's that's one of the great advantages um with the tools that we have at at our disposal i mean obviously this is something that uh, i talk about all the time with my collaborator on uh saint john my comic saint john brennan wagner perfect (laughs) um because uh so Brendan and I have known each other for about 10 years at this point. Um, he's, uh, 
he and I worked together on Spirit with uh, with Matt Wagner, um, which Brendan was instrumental in getting me that gig. Um, and we've uh, we've stayed friends since. I was uh, I was in his wedding, and and we we talk all the time. And he he brought me on St. John. Um, Brendan is a colorist who's who's done fabulous fabulous work. Um, he uh, like he he colored um, Tim Sale's last Batman graphic novel. Mm-hmm. He he's coloring uh, a really cool pro- new project uh, called Rogue Kingdom right now, and of course so much of his dad's stuff. Um, and it and you you see his his growth from Shadow Year One up through the new Grindle stuff. Anyway, so we we talk all the time about the role color plays in the story, um, and he you know he's he's somebody who thinks that it's it's still pretty undervalued that coloring is still viewed as you know makeup right um which is why i it's funny the things the hills i choose to die on i really don't like when in the crediting of comics the artist is credited before the writer and I say this as somebody who's been the 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 artist solely on on a couple of projects. I don't like that. Uh, I, I I don't like it. The the right. crediting should go the person who does their thing first and then second, right? Sure. Um, so I, I I'm I'm very old fashioned about that. But when it comes to how we credit people, I'm a little more progressive. Like I I don't think it should be artist and colorist. I'm a big fan of line artist and color artist. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I think that uh, obviously Brennan is also very on board with that. Um, but, but yeah, we're talking about, you know, the, the role color plays in story, being able to work with somebody so close as I work with Brennan, somebody I've known as long as, as we've known each other. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, a very cool, incredible and somewhat modern thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's cool also to have, you know, you guys are going to work on projects together for years to come. Like there are going to be projects that are going to come and go and you guys are going to get back together and do these things. And then that you're going to evolve and grow together in these sort of creative, you know, you know, enmeshments. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but like, I think it's going to be kind of a cool thing to see, you know, when 10, 15 years from now, what you, what you both do together, because it's not going to be the thing that you did together, you know, eight years ago. Like it's going to be a very different kind of approach because you're going to evolve as humans. I, for one, am really excited for the, the sequential work that Brennan's going to be doing just on his own. Yeah. He shared, he shared the, his first effort as a writer. the edgewood massacre yeah it's great yeah. it is it's uh like the, it feels kind of like a, a one of those cool late 80s vertigo comics yeah yeah totally yeah yeah um and and we, we've talked about doing um doing some things where he'll he'll be f- uh, painting on top of my layouts mm-hmm. it's like I'll, I'll i'll do breakdowns that that he'll um like really expand on not, not just coloring or inking me, but really like crafting on top of a, of a skeleton I put down. Um, and I, I just know that the more of that he does, I th- I, he's going to end up somewhere so cool on that. I'm really excited to see it. I think so. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he's, he's unique 
in the in the sense that he's sort of birthed into the whole thing and he's sort of you know of his father's sort of vision in so many ways because how could you not be mm-hmm. but like you can see these sort of like brennan things that pop out and you're like oh that's completely him it's not something of somebody else this is him and i think just the more and more he has the opportunity to, to do these things and i think getting a chance to you know co-write you know st john with you gives him an opportunity to, to tell a story and so he can yeah. get that feeling of like okay like i have more of a sort of stake into what i'm trying to put out here which will allow that will inform his visual you know sensibilities it has to definitely yeah, he's. I mean, I hope you wouldn't mind my saying. I, I think Brennan's been on a real sort of journey of self actualization these last couple of years. Um, like he, uh, um, he's he's really kind of figuring out who he who he is mm-hmm. artistically, um, not like who he is in relation to his dad. Or in relation to other artists he admires, but but himself. Yeah. Um, I I don't envy the guy having having people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I that's a that's that's a hard that's a hard thing, and it's and it's hard to chart even how you feel about yourself when when you're when you're born into it in the way that he is. But his sister was born into it too, and she's not. Uh, you know doing doing the work he's doing you know she's right. um because brennan you know his dad's his dad but brennan is an artist yeah that, oh, he totally is he has yeah um it's it's not like he was just born in like, he wasn't born into it in the sense that he didn't have to earn it so i and i feel like i don't know i just feel like um it's a very exciting time to be a, a brennan wagner fan <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I think, you know, he's, I mean, listen, I think he is a fearless artist in the terms, like when I look at him color things, I think he's pretty damn fearless. Like he goes after, you know, the page and he is putting his mark on the page in a way that a lot of colors may not do that. And I think that's yeah. that it's, you know, and he's not doing it to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. He's doing it to try to like, maximize the impact of that story well honestly it, it makes us slower than than i think we and and everybody else would like us to be just because um you know we 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 do we're really trying to figure stuff out mm-hmm. like we, we have long conversations about about how how the, the the coloring is is working and and what what we're trying to communicate narratively um, because I, you know, this, this isn't always correct or healthy or useful, but I, I am a big believer in the idea that something is late once, but it's good forever. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Now that is not something I can adopt on Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon is very much a better, not perfect than well, not tomorrow, done. Situation. Tomorrow is tomorrow. Like there, yes. there is no not tomorrow. Like it is. Yeah. It's a calendar. Well, I mean, also, I, I don't know if there's ever going to be, I hope there will, but I hope, I don't know if there's ever going to be printed collections of my flash strip. I, I don't know what form that will persist in. Um, there are people who are, who are 
going to read it day to day. There are people who are going to read it like in little fits and starts. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't, uh, I, I don't know what the body of work as a whole is going to look like. So it is all about momentum. Yeah. It's all about, uh, we've, we've, we've planted a foot here. Now we're going to plant the next foot. Now we got to keep it pushing, mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's flash Gordon. Right. It's, it's, that's, that's what it's called. That's what it is. That's, that's how you have to think about it. Whereas something like St. John, that's something, you know, if we, if we do take a little more time with it, we can have a book that, you know, that can be kind of perennial, uh, yeah. uh, evergreen and not just because it's important. <laughs> well, even though issue two does take place in the snow. So true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's very cool. And it's interesting how you are coping, straddling in these two sort of environments, because they are, while on paper may look very similar, but they're very, very different in, in, you know, in execution. Well, the St. John team um, has been very uh, understanding of me as, as I've been getting up to speed on Flash, because both of these projects we thought were going to start in like February um, with, an, with an eye of getting St. John number one out in time for Rose City uh, last month in September, okay. which we did. But uh, we, we didn't really get the go-ahead to, uh, to work on St. John, and I didn't get the go-ahead to work on Flash until like the, the beginning of the summer. And so I'm, I'm getting a first issue of St. John put together, learning all of these characters in this visual language, working with Brennan, um, and not for nothing, doing a bunch of covers and promotional art mm -hmm. um, at the same time that I have to do that exact same thing for Flash. Right. Um, so, and and Flash is uh, is very immobile. Um, it's my cat. The team. Uh, yes. It's your cheerleader. Yeah. Oh, boy. My heckler. Um, and anyway, so just the, the St. John team has been, um, has been very understanding. And I like to think that it's been worth it. I like to think that it's, it's a very, I, I think it's a good book that, you know, like I say, can, I think has, uh, has staying power. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's really cool because it is, it is so different in so many ways to what, you know, what we're seeing on the shelves and so many, in so many fat, you know, respects. And I love this different type of character. It is not, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of a, of an enigmatic quality baked into here. And the point of view being told puts the reader in that, that who, who is this kind of, you know, it's just the structure is really nice and solid for that respect. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't wait to see where you guys go with this. I'm really glad to hear that. It's funny. We, we were talking earlier on about how limitations can help you creatively. Um, this, this wasn't always going to be a Dark Horse project. Initially, we were approached just to kind of create something in-house for Portland Gear, which meant um, no violence, mm -hmm. no, uh, no crime. Um, it, it, it meant like it had to be pretty, pretty tame. Um, and so that forces us to think like, okay, well, what does a superhero story look like when you're not 
punching a bad guy. Yeah. And, and it made us, you know, dig down on something a little more positive, a little, little more, I don't know, uh, given rain to do anything I wanted. This is not the version of the Portland superhero I would have made. And instead, I, I think we made something a lot cooler, mm-hmm. something informed by, I'm obviously hugely by Brennan's sensibilities. Um, like Brennan wears Portland gear, uh, but I, 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 right. it, it looks good on him. It wouldn't look good on me. Um, <laughs> and uh, although Portland gear looks good on everybody. Well, there you go. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think something kind of cool and unique happened with St. John. And, and so far the, the response has been, um, has supported that. I, you know, I can't stress it enough. And, you know, following what you said there, like, don't fight the restrictions that are put up, like that are out there. Like, you know, don't go, don't be angry because they won't let you do whatever, whatever, whatever. Like you can't, you can't just create in a vacuum. You can't just yeah. exist in a vacuum. These things really ultimately become your best tool because they force you, force you to solve problems that you would never come up with. Yeah. I mean, I think something a lot of aspiring creators struggle with is option paralysis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what's what's the right way to jump here? What's the right answer? When honestly, the right answer so much of the time is just, well, a decision has been made either by me or for me, and now we have to work around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, I think, yeah, embracing those limitations letting those be the things that guide your decision. That's um, not only is that a useful tool for not ending up as a cobweb skeleton at your desk, but also it's a, it's a way to access these, these cool, unique under the fingernails ideas that, uh, that you just wouldn't, uh, that you would overlook. Yeah. No, it's so true. And speaking of being a cobweb figure at a desk, how do you, how do you, because you, I mean, listen, there's a lot of stuff you're doing right now. Like mm-hmm. you, and you have, like you have a job that I'm assuming you've never heard the clock tick louder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do you, or how, at least at this point, how are you trying to balance a work in life schedule format whatever it is for your brain and heart well it's hard um because i am somebody who is very very emotionally invested in my work um and emotionally invested in my work outside of myself like i'm not very interested myself in being um like to, to me my name is the least important thing on the cover of anything i do i get it um, my, my name is useful as a categorizing brand that my work can be gathered under. Um, so it, it's, it's easy to not to disregard yourself when you look at things that way. But I'm lucky that I have a lot of really loving, engaged people in my life. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I've been with my girlfriend, Jackie, for six years. And she's, um, she's somebody who uh, she's been with me through all of Lavender Jack, through the whole production of of, of, um, St. John and Flash Gordon. And, um, you know, we did COVID together. And so this is somebody who 
it's just a very tethering presence to me. Um, my friend Bryn, who I, I watched Flash Gordon with last night, you know, they're they're somebody who's been uh, been a real source of of support to me. Uh, somebody who just reminds me that I have uh, value, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and it's surprising how a that can be hard to remember, uh, and b. Uh, this is the A finger. This is the B finger. Apparently, um, so it, it can be. You just need to hear it from somebody else, because mm-hmm. um, you can't. You know, cobweb skeletons can't make comics. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I just want to ask one thing about going back to Flash Gordon, because something that's been around for so long mm-hmm. has something that, you know, St. John doesn't have, it doesn't have a built in subculture. Like there, mm-hmm. there, there's generations of people who have been fans of flash Gordon and inherently the thing you're making is going to be first received by those people because they're the ones who are eager for something in that yeah. respect. So, it's, it'll be interesting how the navigation happens with it, with what their reception is and how they how they perceive it. But also, like, have you engaged? Have you reached out, or not? Not saying, "Hey, I'm doing this to them," but like, have you gone into those those corners and like and looked to see what what they're all about? I've I've done that a bit, okay. um, and I've um, I've had a couple of long conversations with. My old studio mate Jeff Parker, who wrote Flash Gordon for uh, for Dynamite, um, both that great series he did with Evan Shaner, and then um, other follow up projects like uh, um, he did a, a Defenders of the of the Earth mm-hmm. uh, series with. Um, I mean, it wasn't called Defenders of the Earth, but but it was it was that team was that team that, yeah. that he did with the 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 wonderful uh, the late great Jesse Ham. Um, so I, I I talked with him about the you know kind of running running ideas i had past him to get the the flavor not just of somebody who knew the canon really well but somebody who is from a different generation who's a little bit more closer to the age cohort yeah of, he's of, my age yeah exactly um old in the prime of his life yeah and, that's what i meant to say and uh but in terms of fan groups i kind of I don't want to run to a situation where I'm shooting for something I think they want. I'd rather. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you don't want to run to a situation where you're only writing for people who are already fans of it. Like you want to make something that really stands on its own. Mm-hmm. But if you are a fan, you'll like that. It's a cool, good thing in the, in the flavor you like. Yeah. And if you're not a fan at all, if, if you're coming to flash Gordon, because you read Lavender Jack and, sure. and you want to see what the next thing I'm doing is, or it's just a different looking thing in the newspaper. Like I, I want it to have its own personality that stands uh, out in front of that. And I kind of don't trust myself enough as a kind of a people pleasing person to not let the opinions of, of uh, fan communities I get infect it. me. I get it. I get it. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard. You know, I mean, I think that's one of the things that 
makes it's not and I don't think is a rejection thing for creators to share things before they're out there to with other people. It's not rejection, it's not negative that they're worried about. I think it's a fear of influence. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of us don't want somebody to say something and I'm not even saying in a damaging fact. Like in the fact of them saying something and you go, "Damn it, that's a really good idea." And like <laughs> and not and and somehow to not have that sort of like at least shift you know the the course of what you're thinking because even though it may not be something you say i'm going to do this it's there you know that's danger it's true it's true um certainly not before you've uh established what you think of it like once you once you get uh i don't know um yeah well, once you get a little more immovable yeah yeah because I mean, I think you, I mean you. I mean, once you sort of eventually establish your thing, I don't think it becomes a big problem. But I think when you are first making the thing and developing it, it's it, you. That's where you are the most vulnerable. And uh, you know, like I mean, I, I don't think anyone's going to like steer George R. R. Martin off of whatever he wants to do. You know, if he ever chooses to finish his book series, right. You know, like, but like early on, I'm sure it was probably that's when he was probably, you know, people might have said something and he'd been like, oh, I wonder if, you know, like, I mean, it's just a different version of like clumsily pandering to, to an audience. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's the iconic, you know, new Nancy panel, Sluggo is lit. Right. Uh, you know, um, you, you, uh, you can't, you, you just can't. Uh, you can't. You, you have to have an, an audience in mind when you write. Like you have to be talking to somebody. It has to be a dialogue, but it has to be. You, you have to be using your own voice. Mm. You you can't. You you can't be be fake. People can always tell the smell. It's like it's all these people who think they can make like a a kids thing. Like oh, we'll make a yeah. thing for kids and kids will love it. I'm like, man, you like you pick the hardest the hardest audience in the world. Like yeah. they are so good at spotting a fake. Like they're just like, they see you coming a million miles away. Um, go after, go after middle-aged people. We're, we're, we're easy to fool. Um, <laughs> you're not, you're not so wrong about that. Yeah. Um, which like, ho hopefully my, my new middle-aged audience, uh, will have that reaction to me. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't like the things I've always like felt, with your work and even going to your sort of your like two, three panel, little like idea things you plop, you, you, you put out there. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you don't know what I'm speaking about, you know, oh, I guess it's still like, I guess you'd have to go to, I'm saying it Twitter. So you have to go to Twitter and like your, those things are still up on Twitter, right? Like you, did you, oh, yeah. okay. So you can, they can, you, you can track it down it's up on Twitter. It's up on Instagram. It's uh, oh, yeah. They're on Instagram yeah. too. So if you feel safer, go there, but I don't care. <laughs> um, but like, that's a really, those are very cool, but they're very you. Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's as you as you get, I, I gotta say. So I, I don't know. And I get a very strong, sense of that same stuff from what you've shared with me as far as flash gordon goes so i think you know i think you were you you'll be fine you'll be fine i i and honestly i i think you're right i i, I just can't i can't fake it i can't i i can 
I can be as understanding a version of myself as I, as I can, a, a version of myself that um, tries to meet you where you're at, but I can't, I can't fake something I'm not. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, I don't have the temperament for it, I right. guess. Um, and if, if people are liking it so far, people are liking my work, you know, on the spirit, on Lavender Jack, on the even Steven stuff I've done with Carl Kessel or, or even weird, you know, little internet things that, that I've done, like Yona meets John's brother or that Dr. Fate 80th anniversary fan comic. Like if, if people are, have vibed with it so far, I think they'll continue to. Just thinking you had to stack that in there. Even Steven had to be stacked in there with this workload because of the, because of the Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I did four even Steven stories for Carl over the course of uh, two years. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, those were always squeezed in tight in between uh, episodes of, of Lavender Jack. Jeez. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, part of what I'm looking forward to with Flash Gordon is something that will make it kind of impossible for me to kind of take other work. Yeah. Um, and to have a, a steady gig yeah. that I can, I can clock in with and I can, I can do my work without, um, without scrambling all the time, yeah. without getting pitying looks from my girlfriend. There's a, there's a, there's an amazing solace that can be found in this, you know, constancy. Like if you can get that in your creative endeavor or in your life, then like it opens up a lot of pathways for the space for you to create the next thing in it, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's the thing that you're doing, but it allows you to go, okay, I can breathe and I can see things a little bit better here. Let me see, what can I do? You know? And, uh, yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a great thing to recognize that now, even when you are probably feeling as though you are struggling the most because you're trying to like get the equilibrium, you know, there, but it's a, it's very cool. I, I, I know some of what you're going through, I mean, mm -hmm. write anything. So I know some of what you're going through and I know how, how tough that is, let alone writing. Listen, writing is a tough chore to begin with. And, um, yeah, I'm, it, it's, it's cool. I, is this why you work at night? Is it, so there's, there's no distraction. Is that? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's when, it's when nobody's bugging me. Okay. Uh, although even still, cause people know I'm always awake. <laughs> and so I, at, at four in the morning last night, uh, I was, I was up working and I got a, a call an old, old friend. Uh, and I, I picked up and she was like noticeably uh, like unmoored by it. She's like, oh, I was going to leave you a shitty voicemail. I'm like, you got to get up pretty early in the morning. Yeah. Or extremely late in the day to... It's like to nine o'clock in the morning. That'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the, of the relentless flow of time, I unfortunately, I, I got to make a move here. Let's do the wrap up here. Okay, cool. St. John number one is in comic shops and available online right now. Uh, it, uh, there'll be uh, four more issues that are going to come out between now and the summer. Uh, and uh, 
those will all be available through Dark Horse, and they 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 get they get like progressively better. The first issue is pretty good, but I'm, I think people are really going to be happy with it by the end. Um, and then in in the meantime, Flash Gordon, the first Flash Gordon strip lands October twenty second, and uh, this this Sunday from when from at time of recording, and it will be out every single day for at least the next 52 weeks amazing um and uh and for um that that'll be in newspapers but it'll also be on uh the king features uh comics kingdom website and if people follow me on my social media be it uh on on twitter on instagram on blue sky i'm i'm dan scotty everywhere my my first and last name is my my made up Czechoslovakian last name is, 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 uh, I, I have that. I, whenever a new platform pops up, I grab it. Um, and on all those platforms, I will be posting a link to the new strip every day. Awesome. Um, so it'll be, uh, you will have to actively want to miss it in order yeah. to miss it. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to go to like some sort of crazy lost uh, AOL platform to go to avoid it um yeah. and I'll, I'll have all the links in the description so people can go go right to them so they'll they'll be able to find you and find it um excellent yeah man thanks for talking it, it's great to have you back this was so good i i had a, a lovely time talking with you and and talking about uh this weird new career path uh of mine with somebody who who knows it from the inside yeah who has this perspective on it. It's really, it's been, um, you know, as we're talking, it was announced to the public today. It was announced to the public right. um, about, you know, uh, eight hours ago. And so this is the first conversation I've had about it <laughs> since then. And and it's been, uh, uh, it's been very, very good conversation. Thank you for having me on your show. It's absolutely my pleasure, my friend. And uh, we will do it, I'm sure, in the future. Soon, I hope. Yeah.